Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Whether you are returning or new, I always love when you're here. So thank you. So tonight we have somebody who is here and willing to share her own personal story. And, uh, you know, I always just want to say, you know, when people do share their stories, um, they might say some things that, you know, for anyone who does have um, struggles with food or body image, they may share some things that might be triggering. So um, I just want to keep that in mind for anybody listening, um, because, you know, eating disorders when you have one there's some things that we you know people think about or go through on a daily basis that are really hard um so that that can be difficult to hear sometimes but it's the reality of these horrible illnesses and um I do think they need to be shared and discussed because the more we do talk about them and the more people are willing to open up about them, I think the less stigma that they're going to be about eating disorders. And, um, you know, like I've always said, I wish that when I was going through my own, there had been more discussion about eating disorders. And I wish that I'd heard more people be more open about what they were struggling with or what they were going through on a day-to-day basis, because then maybe I would have thought, oh, you know, I can get help or I can recover. Or I would have even thought I had an eating disorder at the time instead of just thinking I was failing at dieting or um, I was doing something wrong. Um, So I really appreciate it when somebody like our guest today is here. And so I don't want to get too far into the introduction here. I just want to get into uh, introducing our guest and having her share her story. Uh, Hannah Linnea is a body image and mental health advocate, and she obtained her master's of arts specializing in food behaviors back in 2019. And what she's doing now, she actively works online to change the narrative around body image, and she advocates that body image is an extension of mental health. Well, Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Christine. I'm really excited. (laughs) So, you know, I love when I have people on that are willing to open up and share about their own personal stories. And so um, really appreciate that you're willing to do that. And so if you wouldn't mind, would you just kind of start with, you know, your own story and you can start from wherever you want to, but, uh, you know, typically people just kind of start from where they noticed they started to have a relationship with maybe their food or body that, you know, started to become a struggle. So what was that like for you? Yeah, definitely. Well, um, so you and I, um, wow, where, how did it even start for me? I mean, I didn't know I had a food problem Mm -hmm. in hindsight. It, I started 
dieting when I was 11 years old. And I started body checking when I was like eight years old. But as far as like being aware of having a problem, it wasn't until um, in my early 20s when I was like, oh, (laughs) you know, so I went through a very long time in my life where I didn't realize that like, not like skipping meals for a day was a problem or just working out excessive amounts regularly and then going for walks. Like I didn't realize that it was a problem. I thought it was just me being diligent. And I thought it was me being like, well, I need to work on my health and my exercise and I need to make sure that I look good. So Mm -hmm. it was always, I was completely unaware of my relationship with myself. And it wasn't a very, um, like it was really thoughtless. Like in high school, I'm like, how did I even make it this far? Like this is is kind of bonkers. But um, when I the it definitely got to a climax when I was 24, 25. When I was li- so I'm in Canada and I was living in a city called Toronto, which is on the other side of the country from where I live. I live like that's like New York for Canada, and I live in Vancouver, which is like Seattle. So it's like that kind of geographic difference. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was all alone and I was doing my master's, which is so wonderful. And I was definitely a very typical, or I was, I fell into the stereotype of high performing. I like to have, make sure I was well put together, but it was all, I didn't know it was, a, I didn't know it was a part of my mental illness. Um, and yeah, I ended up during my master's, I got really involved with the gym and dieting and calories and you know I I for initially I realized I had a problem when I developed bulimia at that time so mm. and you know there's a trigger warning right of course yeah I will say something in the yeah <laughs> okay good yeah so I um I ended up developing bulimia during my master's and that's when I was like that's when I realized there was something wrong and <laughs> It's funny, I didn't realize it before, but that's when I realized something was wrong. And so I was dealing with a lot of depression at that time, which I had also been a pretty new experience for me in the sense of like paralyzing in bed, unable to get out of bed. And it really revolved around hating getting dressed every day, hating look at the looking at at the mirror. And like I had a very strict routine of like getting on the scale and then making sure that I drank my water and got in my steps and like my life revolved around what I now know is my eating disorder. But at the time I had no idea and I was just really depressed and I graduated. I went home to the other side of the country and my mom was like, I think something's wrong. And like, nobody knew that I was um, experiencing bulimia and living with like the binge purge cycle. Um, Sounds like you didn't even know at the time. I knew I didn't like when I went to the doctor, actually, like my mom was like, you should go to the doctor. She's like, maybe, maybe you're depressed. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever, mom, fine. And I went and I was in, I was in complete denial, <laughs> which is so funny because now it's so clear. Like my life, like makes so much sense now about how I always struggled with fitting in and like feeling like I had sense of belonging and purpose. Like it makes so much sense now, now that I have a label for it. Um, which is why I so openly like to talk about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I went to the doctor and the doctor actually referred me for inpatient care. Um, and 
she had referred, I don't, you're in, where are you based? I'm in California. California, right. So mm-hmm. here we get referred quite frequently to just a specialist for anything and everything in Canada, just because like our general practitioners are access for everything. And I got referred to an inpatient clinic. And when I got called for the inpatient, like initial interview before going into the actual clinic, I was actually on a hike with my mom and my stepdad. Mm-hmm. And it was really uncomfortable because nobody nobody but the doctor knew and the clinic knew what was going on. And they were asking me very, you know, personal, triggering, upsetting questions. Mm -hmm. And I was being really secretive and kind of cryptic. And my stepdad and my mom were like, when I got off the call, they're like, what's going on? Like, that's a, that was a really weird call. Like, what, are you okay? Like, do we need to be worried? Mm -hmm. And I just got really defensive and I was really, at that time, very impulsive. <laughs> and I ended up like, like leave, leaving home. Like I got rid of all my stuff. I packed a backpack and I moved to Mexico. Um, and this is back okay. Into- so let's stop for a second. So you go to the doctors and this is interesting to me. <laughs> so curious. So what did you tell, what was your doctor asking you? What did you tell your doctor to get referred to inpatient? Was it inpatient for eating disorders or inpatient for depression or what? Well, did you divulge? Okay. I told her, I, <laughs> it, sorry, I guess I needed more information to make that clear, but I went and I was like, I am so, I was, um, cause I was about to house sit for one of my aunts and I was like, I'm going to house sit. And I'm just so afraid of being by myself because all I do when I'm by myself is like, I just binge and then I, I purge and I'm so afraid of gaining weight and like now saying all these things, it's so clear that that's what an eating disorder is. But at the time I was just so overwhelmed. I'm like, and like paralyzed in fear. Hmm. And then she asked me about my routines and like what my days looked like. And I elaborated about, you know, my eating disorder, my life resolved, revolved around my eating disorder. I did, I had a job and I quit it. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be able to be taken care of financially, but it was obviously a a double-edged sword because it just left room for my life to revolve around fitness and dieting. Um, When you say, you know, and I probably people listening are going, yeah, I I can probably relate. But for you, when you say it revolved around your eating disorder, like, can you give us more of an idea of like back then what that actually looked like? Yeah, for sure. Um, I always, thank you for asking. I, I never know how much detail to give. Cause I, I never know like what's the appropriate amount of transparency. Mm. Um, but my days every day would, I'd wake up and I would, I was depressed. So I didn't want to get out of bed and I mm. didn't know what the point of life was. And I'd get up and check in the mirror. I'd body check, take my photos, like I don't know. I could spend an hour or two taking photos just to see and compare it to the night before or the day before. And yeah, my phone, my phone for months was just filled of like body photos. And then I would go into the bathroom and weigh myself. And then I normally go for a walk to a cafe and get a cappuccino and then come home and um, I'd be at home for as little time as possible. I would usually eat like some tofu or broccoli or something. And then I would go to the gym 
And at the gym, I would be on the treadmill for, it depended on how afraid I was feeling. So if I was feeling really afraid, I would just stay on the treadmill for an hour, two hours before, and then after the actual weight training. And then I would weight train for a few hours and go home and I would order takeout and then a ridiculous amount of takeout and the cycle would repeat. So does that, the, is that the kind of detail that like, I think paints the picture? Well, yeah. And it, you know, I think people listening, if they're also struggling, um, yeah, they can relate because I think when people think, oh gosh, what does the, what does it look like when your world revolves around an eating disorder? Um, it's, it's hard for people maybe who don't have one to understand, like, what does that actually look like? Or how does, how does one's life revolve around it? Right. Um, and it is different a little bit for everybody, right? Like everybody kind of has different rituals, routines, or, um, different things that they do, but it sounds like for you, it was really like, this was my whole day. Yeah. And like, that's actually, thank you for substantiating on that because like to further illustrate what my life looked like. Like I had been an outgoing social individual. I went through phases throughout my life because it's always been, you know, like my a crutch that I had. Um, and it was always impacted on whether I felt good in my body. So it's like, if my, if my, my jeans were the size that I deemed was good enough, then I would be okay for a little while. But as soon as anything got too tight, it'd be like, I'm not okay anymore. And then I would usually, it went in a cycle, but it climaxed at 25 when my life revolved around my eating disorder, but it would always cycle in a sense of um, pulling away socially. Mm -hmm. And when I would pull away, it'd be a very destructive pull away. It would be very, you don't care about me. Why, why am I trying? Like, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm not good enough. And you don't care if you cared, like, and I don't know, in my mind, it was like, they don't care about me. I just need to go work out and get my, I need to get my stuff together because then people will love me. Then, then I'll be good enough. So, and obviously the dialogue that I'm using now is different. I've been in treatment now for like three years. So, um, I'm probably not speaking as accurately as how I felt at that time, but I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. And not, and then, so because of that, when my life revolved around the eating disorder, I would only make plans if I was able to like go out, get dressed. And like, if it was at a time that fit my workout and eating schedule and I'd always, before I'd go out, I was really open about how how healthy I was quote, like <laughs> I need to count my calories. Like I need to, I have to make sure that I eat right. And I was super open about it. And so I, whenever I was asked to go out, I was like, yeah, I'll hang out with you, but only for this amount of time because I need to work out and I can't eat. Mm-hmm. So it was like that, which saying it out loud is like, I haven't gotten, never given so much detail in a podcast interview about like my actual routine during that time. Well, I appreciate that. Now, I'm actually curious. I mean, I was very similar with mine, but, um, you know, I just thought at the time, like, oh, I'm such a quote unquote healthy person, such a, you know, 
whatever that was in my mind, but I'm wondering for you, did your friends or people around you pick up on that? Or did they just kind of deem you as like, wow, like you're so healthy. Did they buy into it? Or like, what was the feedback you got? The people closest to me um, knew. So my two really good friends in Toronto, I actually lost touch with one of them because of this, because she was in eating disorder recovery herself. And she's like, I don't think you should be doing this. Like, this is really triggering. Like, I don't think you should be counting calories. I like, I don't think this is healthy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, it's fine. Like, I know exactly what I'm doing. Uh, and I, unfortunately, I lost touch with her and I still, I miss her every day. Cause like we could have related mm-hmm. so much, but it, she was at a vulnerable place. I was at a very vulnerable vicious place you know how sometimes when someone's really vulnerable and it comes across as like just leave me alone let me do what I want like you don't care I know what's best for me it was that kind of hostility that that person got which was you know something that I'm not I feel bad about and you know I I miss my friend but the other friend she knew what was going on um she didn't know no she didn't know but she knew I was not myself Right. And she actually bought me sessions with her psychiatrist. And she's like, I think that this would be really beneficial for you. And she's so, and we're really good friends still. We're still in touch. Um, and then obviously my mom knew, but like nobody really in Toronto knew what was going on because I was very much in the gym circle. So like mm. the job that I ended up quitting was at a gym anyways. And so like, of course there, everyone was like, oh, <sighs> like I remember when people would say I was skinny, it made it worse because it like it reinforced I don't know it just it was really complex like people commenting on my body at that time in particular was really overwhelming and I found that like eating disorder periods would intensify after comments like that you know I think you know yes uh, and I hear that all the time from people I work with too is like any comments about the body can be very triggering no matter what it said um and so and I'm sure people listening who <laughs> get comments about their body whatever it looks like that exactly the eating disorder just gets very triggered um and you know I just want to give you some compassion there for you know you looked so sad I know people listening can't see your face but when you're talking about you know what happened with you and your friend you know obviously the defensiveness you got and that like kind of like getting very like defensive right um that was obviously your illness just wanting to not let go and just had such a hold on you and it's just so sad that you know it ended up that way um but you know, obviously not your fault and you didn't know what you, what was going on, but that's really the reality. Sometimes when we talk about the cost of eating disorders, a lot of times the cost is relationships, unfortunately. And that's, that's the sad part for me. Just looking at your face, you look so sad. Yeah. Um, thank you for having such a, like a vulnerable space. Like I've never, you, these questions I've never answered before. Like I've never been asked these. I've done a couple podcast interviews and they're very emotionally reactive. And I was like, Oh, this is, haven't been down here for a while. So yeah. Thank you for, thank you so much for your kind words, Christine. And yeah, I, Anyways, I hope I hear from that friend one day. I wrote her a letter a couple years ago apologizing and she was obviously in a really hard place too. Like she was just in recovery as well. So I haven't heard from her, but 
relationships have definitely, that was the biggest wake up call for me. Um, cause I went to Mexico and I was by myself. I ended up getting into a very controlling relationship that ended up being, um, physically abusive. And he was with a, it was a fellow Canadian and I didn't even realize that by that time it had transformed into anorexia because I hated the experience of bulimia like that ritual at night was just it was so hard so I was like it's easier if I just don't eat um and then at that time I got into that relationship and then when I finally was able the pandemic hit and when I was finally able to gather myself and come back to Canada by myself um, and at that time in Canada we were getting quarantined by the government at like this quarantine facility so I was like sanctioned by the government in like this quarantined room in like a facility where anyways so that was quite oh, wow yeah and like that was when I realized in that time I was like wow like I don't have any friends I don't talk to, I t- didn't talk to my mom after they asked me what was wrong on that hike and I left for Mexico like I wasn't able to I couldn't bring myself to confess to her what I was living with so I cut everybody off. I was like, you don't get it. You don't care. Like, I, I know what's right for me. You guys are the ones with the problem. And sure enough, then I was all by myself and I was um, sick mentally. I was in a bad relationship and I realized I'm like, oh, all I care about right now is my weight and the size of my clothes. And that was the wake up call for me where I was like, okay. I don't know what's wrong, but I need help. And that was in spring of 2020. Wow. So this was not all that long ago. No. And I called my mom and I, I, I said, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I, I feel like my life has blown up in my face as it always does. That did on a, like a habitual cycle. Usually every six months it would blow up. And I would do extreme things like move to the other side of the country, move to Mexico, move to Germany, travel to India. Like I would do all these absurd things, always wanting to feel comfortable. And like, I loved going away because I didn't have to eat and I could just do my own thing. And I didn't have to tell anybody about myself. And, um, my mom was like, yeah, you can come back, but you have to go into therapy. And I was, and I was like, what? And I got, I was mad of course. And then I hung up the phone. I'm like, ah, she's right. So I reached out to a few different, I did my research and I picked out two different counselors that I felt I could trust because I wanted somebody very like problem solving. Like I wanted somebody to be like, Hey, like, I don't know. I just needed something direct because I tend to, in case you haven't told, can't tell. I'm very, I speak a lot. I'm quite like, Oh, well, and I'm very diplomatic and I don't, I can't, I needed a therapist who was like straight to the point. And so I found, I found her, see her to this day, every week or two. And she saved my life in conjunction with my doctor and my psychiatrist and getting into an outpatient program. But, um, yeah, it's definitely an ongoing journey. Like even a year into treatment, I didn't realize how disordered my life still was like making choices about life based off of my comfort in clothes, my comfort around food and my comfort to be exposed to people. 
Mm-hmm. So like I had, I was very sensitive in the sense of like the type of places I would go and who I would let around me or who I would engage with because my walls would go up really quickly. And I'd either like get a paralysis, almost like an emotional mm-hmm. like, paralysis or, um, or I would be snappy and rude. So it sounds was like you were running yeah it sounds like yeah. they it would get close and you'd like bolt and run and like yeah. it was almost like a you were protecting your eating disorder or something it sounds like yeah no it's very accurate <laughs> so yeah does that make sense I feel like I kind of went all over the map and just kind of like put my entire life right here <laughs> but and I think that that's probably what it is like right when you're you hold on to it so tightly and you're so secretive and, you know, you live in such isolation and you divulge it. It can feel like that. You feel like, whoa, what just happened? And I think that's, that's the biggest thing um, for people. Like there's that fear of sharing it. And that's, you know, I always say you're only as sick as your secret. So um, it's one of the biggest reasons why I so appreciate you and anyone else who's been on this podcast, who's willing to share um, because the more, people are willing to open up and talk about it I think the less hold it has on you um and the more maybe if you would you know had somebody else out there talking to you about it and sharing that they were doing similar things to you maybe you would have realized before your 20s yeah you know you were doing something that was disordered instead of just thinking you were being quote-unquote healthy or um you know realize what was going on yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, it's, yeah, I often, it's interesting. Like my, I'm not the only one in my family who's lived with an eating disorder as well. Like it's definitely like my siblings have as well. Um, both of us. So I think that that's really interesting, but yeah, it, it was, it's crazy in hindsight now how my life makes such sense now that now that I'm like, I'm open about my body image and body image on Instagram, because that was the access point for me. Like that was when I saw the photos of like posed, unposed, or what looks like before and after, like when I saw that, it was like, that was after four months of starting my like therapy and treatment. That's when, or it was, no, it's just therapy. Um, that's when a light bulb went off and I was like, Oh, like I already knew it was about my body, but like seeing that photo was it it changed my life it was by this one influencer georgie clark do you know her no i don't she's she's the first girl that i've seen do the pose versus unpose she has like she's in the uk and she she opened my eyes to the illusions of social media Hmm. you know now i know how dramatically that was impacting my perceptions of food and exercise and what life was mm-hmm. I, I grew up with a phone like I got my first phone when I was 11 years old so I grew up on that platform so I didn't realize what I was seeing was curated thing right because when I I you know I found you on social media and I thought gosh this is so fascinating because I did not grow up <laughs> you know I went through all of my years of school through college without any social media at all it didn't even exist right so very different uh experiences growing up right and so for you you had that and you know I found your social media but 
gosh, this is fascinating. Look what she's doing. She's posting these things of like posed versus not posed. And I'm like, that that's amazing, right? So is that where you got the inspiration to start posting that yourself? Yeah, yeah. So I got really inspired to do it because I've always been entrepreneurial. And at first I wanted to be like a fitness influencer and I just wanted to work out all the time, which obviously... And I got certified as a personal trainer, which obviously was all part of my disorder, which my um, my friend who I lost contact with told me that. She's like, you're doing this because for the control. And mm-hmm. I was like... What? Like I did every client she tried to help. I'm like, no girl, which obviously she was right. Um, but then after going through the, the living with bulimia, living with anorexia. So, and I didn't even know it was anorexia and I was, it wasn't even labeled that for months afterwards when I talked to my doctor. Um, cause I, I would just thought it was fasting and I thought I was just being healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, after living through the eating disorders and like realizing I had an eating disorder, I was very reluctant. It took me, it took my therapist like almost a year of her telling me I had an eating disorder for me to believe her. Like I just did not believe her at all. Um, yeah. And, but I didn't believe her, but I knew I had a problem and I, thought that instead I was like I don't I want to still be online like I still want to work and like have Mm -hmm. that freedom and kind of like figure it out like I want to give it a shot right um but I can't do fitness and I was just really stuck in this I don't know what to do um and then I don't know how my algorithm brought me this pose versus unposed but Mm -hmm. it did and very grateful it did and that's how I started posting I was like well I, I relate a lot to this and like my, my life was on the line because of my extreme body fixations and extreme, like unrealistic body standards. Um, so I was like, okay, I may as well talk about it. And then I, I, it's really, I, I feel so passionate about the content that I create now on Instagram and just things that I talk about with even sort of recovering body image in general, because body image was the access point for me to realize that I, I, I do have, I do live with mental illness. Mm-hmm. I, I do, I do suffer with like depression, anxiety. I have a predisposition to living with an eating disorder. Um, and it was profound, like addressing my body image issues was my key to, mm-hmm getting a grasp on life again. So like even today, my doctor, she's retiring and like my last appointment, cause I see, still see her on a monthly basis. Wow. My last appointment with her. And she was like, I'm so proud of you. Like keep going. And you've come so far. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like you, she really, she saved my, obviously I've said this, my, my team were so amazing. I love them so much. It's very sad to say goodbye to the doctor and like get a new one. Um, but yeah. Thanks for making Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> I feel like I'm just kind of excited to even talk about it. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's so great. And, you know, you had that moment there where you kind of were like, what was I talking about? And I think that's so normal. I think that's like, is so telling, right? Cause I, it, I think when you're talking about it, you kind of get like very like 
lost in, you know, I find this for myself, even when I talk about like my stories, like sometimes you just get kind of like stuck in a, wow, that's, this is heavy stuff, you know, it's like a lot. And so I appreciate that you're willing to share and, you know, and again, I know people listening can't see like your facial expressions, but you're, you're talking about like your team and like how far you've come, you just light up like a light bulb, right? And it's like, um, so nice to see. Um, and I think that's the beauty of, you know, when people do take that big leap, um, to, you know, going into treatment because that's a scary thing to do. Um, and it, you know, a lot of people hesitate or in denial or whatever, but just to take that first step and to be vulnerable enough to say, Hey, I need help. Um, and then to keep going, because that's the other thing is when it's not just taking the first step, but to continue on with it and trust the team and, get to the point where, you know, you can look back and say, wow, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I find like trusting, like finding a good team is really hard. Like even like my doctor, I've had, she was my doctor my entire life. So like, obviously I trusted her. And then my therapist, like her name is Lisa. She usually listens to my pot, the podcast that I do. So hi, Lisa. Um, <laughs> um, she was definitely my, my safe my safe place because it took a while for me to even, I met a few people at the eating disorder outpatient program that I'm in now. And I'm like, I don't like them. And I would go to Lisa and I'm like, I don't trust them. And like it, even my dietitian who I had my appointment with most recently, I told her like, I was like, I'm only just starting to trust you now. And she's, she's leaving too. And I'm getting another dietitian. So I have to build trust with somebody else. But like, Obviously, I made enough progress now to know that, you know, dietitians aren't bad. <laughs> She's not out to get me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like finding the right team is a journey because not only like there is hard because I didn't even I was really resistant to the idea that there was something going on with me. Mm-hmm. And I like when people would say, oh, that's the eating disorder. I'm like, no, it's just logic. Like I was super resistant. <laughs> and then finally I'm like, okay, now, now it's like, it's nice to know, like when a thought happens, I've always known when, if it was like good or bad, but now I can, I have understanding and compassion for it in a way that's helped me embrace it rather than push it away. And instead of being like, oh, I hate this part of me. And I like panic. It's like, yeah, this is a part of me that's brought me here. And yeah. Oh, and I forgot another thing about my team. Like I'm, I just got, um, uh, I got a job recently, like my first ever office job. Cause I've tried to have office jobs throughout the years and mm-hmm. it always interfered with my, uh, exercise and eating and that schedule, unfortunately. So that was one reason why I was in university for so long. Um, and I did like years abroad and stuff for, that flexibility to let that part of me thrive. But then once life had to start happening, I was resistant to that. But now my doctor and I were celebrating this morning how I now I'm able to have a job. So congratulations. <laughs> no, that's huge. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, because you know, I think if people don't have an eating disorder, they don't really understand how debilitating it can be for things like 
fitting in a job around your eating disorder or fitting in going out with friends or, you know, you sometimes go, I don't need to sleep. I can get up and go to the gym. You know, it's like all these things that people don't really understand about the illness, or maybe even if you have the illness, you don't really think is the illness. Um, right. And that's what, that's what kind of makes it scary in the sense, like it's insidious in a way, like the way that these patterns just are there and, that's another reason why I like to talk openly about it. And like, I like to talk about mental body image as a gateway to mental health, because I didn't realize all of these struggles that I had in my life were interconnected to like a deeper rooted, like misunderstanding, like, uh, misunderstanding and then also genetics. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the girls that I know from the recovery community, um, I'm a big advocate for antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. And so that's another big thing that helped me. And I like my psychiatrist was amazing in that. Like, um, I remember one time we were at Costco, mm-hmm. and we, as in my partner and I, my boyfriend, and we, he, I asked, I said, Oh, those strawberries look good. And he's like, yeah. And he kept walking and he's the one and grabbed like lettuce and bananas. And he just like kept putting stuff in the cart. And meanwhile, I was like, oh my God, he didn't say get the strawberries because I'm fat and I can't, I can't be eating strawberries. And like, I went down this huge spiral and I was telling my psychiatrist about this and he's like, yeah, so that's, that's, that's a, that's a lot of anxiety and life doesn't have to be that way. And I was like, really? And it was so profound. I was like, I had no idea. I didn't know life had to be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so like finding the right medication, finding teammates that I trusted, um, and then talking about body image, like body image was definitely the thing It's the thing that helped me realize all of this stuff. And that helped me address these deeper things that controlled my life. Mm-hmm. No, that's, I mean, you're sharing things that like these are the things that people don't talk about like those little moments that can just destroy a day or your mood or mm-hmm. you know just like you said spiral you down this mountain and you know the people around you don't even know what kind of personal hell you're in right off of something very tiny yeah right totally and that's that's what why it's so it's crazy how intertwined it all is because that comment about my statement of those strawberries look good and him saying yeah turned into oh my gosh I can't eat strawberries because I don't look good enough and he's gonna leave me and I'm gonna be alone forever and no one's ever and I'm gonna and like it would just spiral and like I wasn't even aware of how dramatic those spirals were and how it would come into my life in every way like my life was always hectic in a Mm -hmm. like there was no connection and that's because I was always like, oh, no, no, no. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was, yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for, th- thank you again so much for even asking and like letting me speak so freely. That's really nice of you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Cause I, I hope even for you, as you're talking, you can look back and go, gosh, I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. <laughs> like, to see how far you've come because I think that's the beauty of it too and sharing your stories saying like I don't want to go back there and that maybe can even be motivating to keep on your path and journey like 
you know, and pat yourself on the back too. And just say like, gosh, you know, like you did all that work. That's a lot of work too. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's nice to wake up now. It's nice to wake up and like, go brush my teeth and like put my hair out and like get dressed and go to work. Like, you know, like some people, I, for so long, I was like, I never want that kind of life, but now I'm just so happy to have stability mm-hmm. and like, I have a feeling of belonging and like feeling like I contribute to something and like in life in general. And then also with Instagram, like Insta- like this content that I share on Instagram is just so meaningful for me um so it's nice and like I have plants now and I like take care of my plants and I like I love my like recovery has been such an interesting experience like I've accumulated I have I've accumulated like 10 plants throughout this process (laughs) (laughs) um and built I built stronger relationships with my family and like that was a big motivating factor to regain connection with mm-hmm. everybody who I always cut out mm-hmm. and my family was really understanding. Like I went for anybody who's like listening and they're like, Oh yeah, I feel alone. Like I, like I, I, res- I relate to maybe what I'm saying. Like I went and told my family individually to the ones that I in particular, they were always there for me. Therefore they were hurt the most throughout our relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they had to deal with, you know, Inter- standard interpersonal conflict and then also me not knowing that I had mental illness or a mental illness um and I just explained to them that it was really hard and I didn't tell many people at first over the years it's become second nature it's like oh yeah I'm had I'm e- an eating disorder recovery like it's, it doesn't bother me anymore mm-hmm. uh, of course I take with the grain of salt some people have a hard time you know you got to how to be cognizant of the other humans and what's comfortable with them. Um, but yeah, I told my family that I was really sorry and that I didn't know that I was struggling and I love them. And I'm sorry that I wasn't able to before and I want to make my life better. And I hope that like, you'll be there with me. And obviously my family was super understanding and they're really supportive. Um, and that was like, what's really kept me going. It's just like, okay, like I always wanted a sense of belonging and, and I thought losing weight and like traveling and being admired if I had a good enough body would help me feel like I belong. But in reality, like I just needed to create belonging in my life. And I personally get that feeling through my, like my, I grew up very close with my family. So just being close with them. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, that's what really kept me focused. Like through recovery, it was just kind of like when being honest with the doctor, Mm because obviously living with depression, like it was like, well, they don't even care about me. What's the point? And then I would just like, okay, I got to tell the doctor this. And I would just tell her and she's like, oh, we can fix this. I was like, really? And like medication helped me. It really it definitely helped. It saved my life. Like I said that so many times. So like this whole thing has been like, I don't know what would happen if I wasn't, if I didn't take this journey. And if my mom didn't force me to go to therapy. (laughs) 
it's nice to hear you like such a strong advocate for seeking help. And I'm glad the treatment has been helpful for you. So, and I think you're right, you know, finding the right treatment team and, and seeking providers that you feel comfortable with and that feel like they're a good fit for you too is important. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think it's important to be decisive. Like I definitely did my research and I would talk to people and I was like, mm, I don't trust them, which is in part eating disorder and in part I knew I needed, I'm somebody who needs that. Like you need to go to therapy or like you need to, um, you know, just that bit of a, a backbone. Cause I tend to be very diplomatic as I had mentioned. So. Yeah. Well, um, I really appreciate so much that you've been so vulnerable and sharing and, you know, you've mentioned your Instagram. So if people do want to see your posts and follow you, how can they find you? Yeah. So my Instagram handle is I'm Hannah Linnea. So that's I M H A N N A H L I N N E A. It's a bit of a weird, I, I should change that. It's kind of hard. It's not very catchy, but um, yeah, that's where I am. And if you're in eating disorder recovery, say hi, <laughs> or even if not, and if you are struggling with body image, I know. I've connected with a lot of people on Instagram who also haven't been in, who haven't been in eating disorder recovery, but relate to the struggle of body image. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So thank you. Yeah. That's, that's where you can find me. Thank you so much for having me and being so sweet. I really appreciate you and thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Well, and you know, don't worry if you didn't get that all down, I will have it all in the show notes too. So (laughs) head to the website after and, uh, find all of Hannah's information there. Hannah, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.